So as we kick off this new series, Time Well Spent, um, I'm going to kind of lay the foundation and then we're going to dive into week one. Um, and we're going to uh, roll through this for a few weeks. Uh, and I'll give you a little more info on that as we keep working our way through. But in the next couple of weeks, we're, we're headed into award season. Um, you know, we got the Oscars coming up, the Golden Globes, there's the SAG Awards, there's all these awards, the, the Lombardi Trophy is going to be given out at the Super Bowl. But my personal favorite award for the award season is the Darwin Awards. You guys know what a Darwin Award is? Darwin Awards are given for legitimate human stupidity. That's what it is. And, and one of my personal favorite Darwin Awards I'm going to share with you this morning, I want to actually read you uh, the clipping from the news so that you don't think I've actually fabricated this story. This isn't like a preacher story. This is an actual story. It's documented. It was in the newspaper. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Larry Walters. Larry Walters had a dream. He wanted to fly. This is actually from, from the news report. He was a risk taker, and he got an idea one day while sitting outdoors in an extremely comfortable Sears lawn chair. <clears throat> he purchased 45 weather balloons from an Army-Navy surplus store and tied them to this launcher that he dubbed the Inspiration One. He filled the four-foot diameter balloons with helium and then strapped himself into the lawn chair with sandwiches, some Miller Lite, and a pellet gun. This is a true story, by the way. Larry's plan was to sever the anchor and lazily fly to the height of about 30 feet above his backyard while enjoying a few hours of flight before coming down. He figured he'd pop a few beers, enjoy the scenery, and then pop a few of the balloons. 45 balloons. When it was time to descend, he would gradually lose altitude and land safely in his backyard. But things didn't work as Larry had planned. When his friends cut the cord that was anchoring to uh, his lawn chair to his Jeep, he didn't float lazily up to 30 feet. Instead, he streaked into the L.A. skies as if he was shot out of a cannon. Pulled by the lift of 45 helium balloons holding 33 cubic feet of helium each, he didn't level off at 100 feet. He didn't level off at 1,000 feet. He climbed, 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 and he finally leveled off at 16,000 feet. This is an actual picture, and, and you see this, and you probably think of the movie Up. This isn't fabricated. This is actually Larry sitting in his lawn chair, floating 16,000 feet above the L.A. sky. That's three miles in the air. And I love what's reported next. At that point, at, the height, he, at that height, he felt he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons. So now he finds himself in real, in real trouble. He stayed up there drifting with his sandwiches for several hours, considering all of his options. At one point, he crossed the primary approach corridor of LAX Airport. Airline pilots radioed, radioed in with unbelievable reports of this strange sight. And every one of their reports started this way. You're not going to believe this, but... Eventually, Larry gathered up the nerve to shoot a few of the balloons and slowly descend into the night sky. The hanging tethers tangled and caught the power lines, block, uh, blacking out Long Beach neighborhood for 20 miles. Fortunately, Larry climbed to safety, where he was properly arrested by waiting members of the Los Angeles Police Department. He was led away in handcuffs, and this reporter, who was dispatched to cover the story, approached him and asked, Larry, why did you do this? And Larry nonchalantly replied, well, a man just can't sit around, can he? <clears throat> I think that's a really... Uh, Funny story, as a matter of fact, that might be the first time I've read it without laughing my head off. Um, <clears throat> this is a, a true story, but what's interesting is I, I think Larry's on to something. And, and I, I say that, and let me preface this so you don't get any wild ideas. I'm not encouraging you to go buy some balloons, attach them to your lawn chair, or any other wild idea. Uh, that's not at all what I'm saying. I think, I think Larry's on to something in, in this regard. We've all been given in a finite amount of time. We've all been given a, a little bit of, of life, this precious little gift. 
and what we do with it matters. And, and, and for some of us, for some people like, like Larry, he, he just found himself sitting away, kind of wasting his life and woke up and thought, I got to do something. For others of us, we, we kind of feel those pressures and those concerns all the time. But for some of us, we feel these concerns, and, and, and after the year we had, after 2020, maybe we're all just looking for a year where we can sit around, relax, and, and do nothing. But for others of us, the pressures build up. Life happens. The, the, the priorities, the demands on our time happen, and, and so we, we feel that kind of, of pressure to get things done. Stephen Covey, if you ever heard of him, he's a famous author. He had this really interesting illustration that he produced a few years ago. There was a video traveling around the, the web, so you may have seen it. But, but he started with this jar on a table, and it was the jar represents the finite amount of time that we've been given. And around the jar, th there was some rocks. There were some big rocks, some medium rocks, some small rocks, and the rocks all represent th the demands on our time or our priorities. And then you try to fill this finite jar with all of these rocks, and, and you get to the end and you realize they don't all, all fit. And then Steve w would empty the jar, and, and he would say, but there is a way to make this work. And it starts by taking the biggest rocks first, the, the biggest demands on our time or our biggest priorities. And you fit these in first into this, this finite jar of time. And then you, you begin to build in the medium, and then you begin to fill in the small. And by the end, it all fits. But you have to start with the biggest rocks first. You've got to start with the big. You've got to start with the biggest priorities. So that's exactly what I want to do this morning. I want to give us... Uh, uh, over the next few weeks, some of the big rocks. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. This is by no means uh, what everybody sh should do and only do these things. But, but I do think these are things that all of us should do. I, my hope is that we would get to the end of the year and we would look back and we would all have this sentiment. That was time well spent. That I can look at my life and I can look at the priorities and I can look at the things that I've filled my jar with and I can look back and say, that's time well spent. Those are the priorities. Those are the things that I want to fit into my life. Those are the things that I want to fill my life with. And all the other things, all the superfluous things, all the things I thought may have been a priority but actually aren't, I found a way to set them outside the jar and fill it with the things that actually matter. My hope is that as the days go by and as the years go by, that we would all begin to realize our life's finite. And we need to get to a place where we can look back on our life and think, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of the time I've spent. Last week on Thursday, I turned 41, and I know I look really good for 41. <laughs> no, I, I, I turned 41, and, and I remember sitting at the table. I was actually working on this message and thinking back over, over the past year, and, and here's the thought I had. And if you're a parent, you probably feel this way too. I, I look back, and I thought, <clears throat> man, where has the last decade gone? It's, it's unbelievable to me. The older I get, the more I find myself agreeing with this saying that the days are long, but the years are fast. Life's flying by, and if we're not careful, life will begin to dictate to us how we need to live as opposed to us dictating to our life how we want to live and how we're choosing to live. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at one of my favorite uh, chapters in the scripture, John chapter 21. I'm going to preface and kind of give you some context for John 21 in, in just a moment. Um, <clears throat> it's one of my favorite chapters because of, of what came before John 21. John 21 kind of reminds me of a Marvel movie. Any Marvel movie fans here sitting at home? Any Marvel movie fans? Anyone? I see a few hands going up. Good. If you're a Marvel movie fan, and especially if you're a veteran, you kind of know where I'm going with this. When you go to a Marvel movie and the movie ends, if you're a veteran, you sit and you take your seats because you know something else is coming. But you can always easily identify the rookies because they kind of get up and they talk and they meander their way out. But, but the veterans, we sit, right? If you like Thor or Captain America, the Avengers, Spider-Man, we stay seated, se seated, seated, whatever. That, right. We stay seating, however you want to say it. <clears throat> we stay in our seats because we know something else is coming, right? There's an end credit scene. The story's not over. 
This is John 21. In, in John 20, the, the, the greatest thing happened, right? The, 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 the moment that our faith was built on. Jesus died and was resurrected. He came back to life. Death was defeated. Like, like the, everything had happened, the amazing thing had happened. And, and we feel like that's the summation of the gospel. just the summation of the book of John. And then comes John 21. And John 21 is kind of a look. It's kind of a preview of where things are going. So we're going to dive into this. Every, everything that happened now, and this, if you like fishing, this is a little bit of a fishing story. We're going to do some fishing stories today. Um, but here's where, where the story picks up, John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus <clears throat> appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, and this is John telling us the story. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Big group of guys all together. They're all together, and then Simon says to the guys, hey, you know what, guys, I'm going to go out fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. Great idea. So they went out, and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And then here's a little glimpse of where we're going with this message. Early in the morning, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. So they're out there, all the buddies, you know, they're, they're fishing all night, talking, having fun, not catching anything, and they see some dude on the shore kind of waving them down. They're not sure who it is. And then Jesus speaks to the disciples, and he says this. He calls out, and he says, friends, haven't you any fish? And it, what's interesting about this is, is this isn't Jesus asking, hey, guys, did you catch anything? Because as we know with, with, with Jesus in the Gospels, he already knows the answer. He doesn't need them to tell him, hey, I didn't catch anything. I think this is Jesus kind of talking smack to his friends. I think Jesus is in a really good kind of jovial mood. And if, if you want to know why he's in a joyful mood, it's because he's not dead anymore. Right? He, he, he died and he came back to life. He conquered life and death. It's like, I'm alive. Life is great. This is awesome. There's my buddies and they're not doing anything right. Hey, guys, haven't you any fish? Right? He's just kind of egging them on, kind of teasing them. The disciples respond, no, they answered. And then he says, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. I mean, just, just like Jesus. Hey, you're doing it wrong. Try it this way. They do it, and, and they're just completely blown away. The story it continues. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, and, and these are they're little snippets in the Gospels and the Bible. If you read, pay attention for these because these, I love these. John always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I kind of wonder if it wasn't John just saying as he's writing his Gospel, I'm going to get these guys. I'm going to throw something in that's going to set me apart from everyone else. We don't even know if that's actually true, but John says it's true. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. So John's speaking for himself. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard this, I mean, this is just like Peter, isn't it? He, he hears this news. They, they're, they're fishing. There's guys on the side. They don't know who it is. He set, gives them some instruction. They do this thing, and it's a miracle. They have all these fish. The boat feels like it's about to break. Simon recognizes that it's Jesus, and what does he do? He tie, wraps his outer garment around him because he had already taken it off, and then he jumps in the water, and he swims. That's like... That is like the base Simon Peter reaction, just completely devoid of reason. I'm just jumping in head first. It doesn't matter what the repercussions are. He starts swimming to shore, and he basically leaves the disciples through the rest of the work because the disciples, if you go to the next verse for me, <clears throat> the other disciples had to follow along in a boat, towing the net that was already full of fish. They weren't far from the shore, only about 100 yards. When they had landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and, and, and this, key, this part here is so important. And there were already fish on it and some bread. Now, why would Jesus ask the disciples to fish for more fish if he already had fish there? Their fish were already there on the coals. I mean, imagine you're the disciples and you're showing. If you've been fishing all night, you're not catching anything. 
Jesus kind of makes funny and then says, hey, why don't you fish over here and do it this way? They do it. They get all these fish and they come into shore. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, by the way, I already got that. Uh, good. Don't need that. I think Jesus is trying to illustrate a point here to his disciples that he wants to illustrate to us. Hey, I, I know you've got concerns. I know you've got the work thing. I, I, you know, I know you've got school coming up. I know you have demands on your life. Right? You're a parent. You have kids. You have relationships. You've got to work out and be healthy. I know all of that. But, but in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of those pressures, don't allow that to overshadow time with me. Listen to what Jesus says next. I, I love what he says next. Jesus said to them, he says, hey, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon, of course, climbs back into the boat, and he drags the net ashore, and it's full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. The net wasn't torn. <clears throat> In the next verse, what, where Jesus is going with this, this is, this is the, the key to, to this message. This is really the key to what I believe is the year for what God's asking us to do at the church. This is what's going to take us from where we've been to where we ultimately want to go in our lives and our relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, as, as I've been thinking of this message, and I, as I said before, we were thinking about it for months. We've been talking about this as a staff. This is one of the things as we begin to kind of brainstorm ideas for this series. In the middle of, of what was last year, 2019 and COVID, and that might be a swear word to you, but the, the reality of what was last year and the mess that it was, we sat as a staff and we thought, if we had to do this again, and, and don't, please, we are not hoping we ever have to do this again. But if we had to do this again, what advice would we give people? What, what is the one thing we would want people to know? This is it. This is that one thing. This is, if I could, this is like the biggest of the big rocks that you have to fit into your life. This is, this is the biggest big rock invitation that we've ever been given. And I know I'm like, I'm pumping this up to be this big thing. Because I really believe this is a huge, huge thing. I think this is the biggest deal for you, for your spiritual life, for your relationship with Jesus, for who you are now and who you ultimately want to be. Jesus answered it in this next verse. Jesus then says to his disciples, Come. And have breakfast. Guys, I, I know you got to work. And I, I know you got to fish. And you got you to you know, pull in the fish so you can make some money. And I'm going to help you take care of that. But I, I already have the fish. I, I, I know you've got responsibilities on your life. And you've got to raise kids. And you, you know, you've got all the demands, these other demands on your time. And, and life just gets busier and busier. And even if we're at home in quarantine. I don't know about you, but life seemed busy and busy even in the midst of quarantine. I know all of those things. I know the demands on your time. But don't allow the demands on your time to overshadow time with me. You see, there are places, and if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've actually spent time with Jesus for a while, it's so easy to kind of get locked into this trap, isn't it, where the demands on our life, and even if we've been really good about spending time with Jesus day after day, Eventually, the demands begin to creep in. Eventually, work begins to take over. Our emotions kind of go askew. Other priorities leak their way in. And they overshadow time with Jesus. And, and when this happens, our perspective shifts, doesn't it? And, and, and the world, our problems, our life, they seem so big and so out of control that we can't comprehend, we can't deal with the thing that is probably the most important for us to deal with and to do. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the bottom line to today's message. And I'm actually going to do something I... I, I swore I would never do. I may have done it once before. I think my wife told me I did it once before. But I, I never do this at Journey. But I'm actually for a moment going to sing today. And I'm going to sing because I want you to remember the bottom line. 
and, and here's my hope, is that when Wednesday rolls around and you're thinking, what, what was that bottom line to that message again? This is going to be so awkward for you, you're never going to forget it. But I, I'm going to sing a little bit of an advertising jingle. Uh, and actually, here's what, what we're going to do. <clears throat> I know that there's not a ton of you here you who are watching online. My guess is you know this advertising jingle as well. So I want you to sing it even if you're sitting in your living room or riding in your car on Monday morning or you're still in your bed in your pajamas drinking your coffee. Wherever you find yourself, I want you to play with me a little bit. I'm going to say the first part of this, and then I want you to sing it back to me. Even if you're new, don't feel uncomfortable. We all know this song. If you're under 30, you may not recognize this. You're going to ask some questions at the end, but I'll answer those later. So we're, we're going to start it off, okay? Now, now keep in mind, we haven't done this. I haven't prepped this. Chris Madden, our worship director, has no idea I'm about to do this. Who knows? This may be my last Sunday at Journey. We're going to go with it anyway. You ready? The best part of waking up. You guys deserve a round of applause. Folgers in your cup. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. And everyone under 30 is thinking, Folgers? What is this Folgers you speak of? And, uh, it, you know, no knock to you if you drink Folgers, but it's not worth it. It's really not the best part of waking up. The, the truth is, and here's why we're going this way, the best way to start your day is to hear what Jesus has to say. And I know it doesn't have the ring that the Folgers jingle does. If you're the advertising guy at Folgers, that must be the proudest moment of your life. We will die remembering that song. But I want you to remember this. The best part of your day is to hear what Jesus has to say. And for some of us, that's not our reality, is it? We wake up, and we wake up to, to the immediate demands on our life. Our kids are screaming, and we've got to get breakfast, and we've got to get some food, and, and, and we've got to prep for, for what's coming. But, but for, for the truth is, for a lot of us, there are other demands on our life, isn't there? There's actually one thing in particular that tends to be the thing that, that's, that kind of blocks the best part of our day being what Jesus has to say. And really, it's this, isn't it? For many of us, it's this. We keep it right next to our bed. It's charged all the time. And the first thing we do in the morning, you know, we kind of rub our eyes and get that weird gunk out of our eyes. I don't know why that's there, but we do it anyway. And then we open our phone. And we check what the world has to say. Not what Jesus has to say. We want to hear what the world has to say first. We check our social media and we read our email and we'll, we'll, we'll check all of our news apps to see what the world has to say first. And this, this becomes the thing that blocks us hearing what ultimately Jesus has to say. You see, what my hope is as we start this new year is that we would build some new habits. And, but here's the truth, and you know this. To build some new habits, you have to break some old ones, don't you? You have to break some old habits. You, you, have to, you have to tear down the walls of the things that, that kind of built, got your life to where it is. So I don't know if you've ever heard of this or seen this, but, but have you, anybody ever seen this or know what this is? This is actually called a cell phone jail. I didn't make this up. You can actually purchase these on Amazon, and I was going to, but I knew my wife would say afterwards that's the biggest waste of money, so don't purchase that. <clears throat> so I didn't, so I figured I'd just show you the picture. This is actually a cell phone jail. You can buy this, and th here's the idea. You just slip your cell phone or your tablet or whatever you have in there, and, and you lock it in you, 5, 10, 15 minutes. You just make sure that it's in there so that you can't be bound to it. Now, for some of you, you might literally need to go and, and buy a cell phone jail. And, and if you do, I'll, I'll send you the link. For others of you, I think figuratively, you just need to, to lock it. There are features in your phone. You can you know, activate the do not disturb feature. You can uh, do what I did. I just got real radical, and I just deleted all my social media apps. I've got a computer. If I need to check it, I can do it there. But I just said, let's remove temptation altogether. I won't wake up and check my social media. I won't wake up and hear what the world has to say before I hear what Jesus has to say. So what habits do you need to break? 
Is the phone the thing that's keeping you from hearing what Jesus has to say first? Is that the priority? To check what your friends are posting on social media, to see the latest picture on Instagram, to read the latest news report? Let me just give you a snippet. The world's in a rough place, and it's going to be in a rough place tomorrow and the day after and the day after. You don't need to read it. Why don't we start our day with something good? Why don't we start our day with something that Jesus has to say? Maybe we should all lock up our phones. Maybe we should make it a priority. Here's what I want for you, and here's how we're going to form some of these new habits. If you want to form this new habit, the first thing you have to do is you have to sincerely desire this new habit. You have to make it a priority in your own life. It's like taking those rocks. You've got to look at your life and look at your schedule, look at your calendar, look at the demands on your time, and you've got to pull all the rocks out, and then you've got to start separating into the big rocks, right, the biggest priorities, and the medium and the small. You've got to sincerely desire this new habit. I mean, what's more important than this? Well, what could be more important than hearing what Jesus would have to say first? All the other priorities, they'll fit in, in in time. But set aside some time, 5, 10, 15 minutes. A great way to do this, and I've used this illustration before, is to get a chair. You may have heard this. You get a chair, maybe your favorite chair, you put it by your favorite window or your fireplace or maybe in your room, the, the place in the house that you love the most. And you dedicate, I'm going to spend 10 minutes in that chair every morning spending time with Jesus. 15 minutes. If you're brand new with this, start small. It's okay to start small. But I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to dedicate that place. That's where I want to go. And that's where I want to spend time with Jesus. Get a chair. Sit in the chair. Make it a priority. I know what you're going to say. I hear the excuses all the time. But Jim, I don't have time. Here's what I know is true for every one of us. We make time for the things we find important, don't we? We have time to binge Netflix. You have time to check your email. You have time for your kids. Hopefully you have time for your spouse. You have time for the relationship you're in. You have time to read. We make time for the things that are important to us. What could be more important than starting our day hearing what Jesus has to say? Here's where I want you to start. If you're brand new to this, here's the easiest method that I know of. This is what we teach people up front, and I want to teach it to all of you. If you're brand new and you're thinking, Jim, I wanted that, but I have no idea where to start. This is a method we call SOAP. It's the SOAP method. It's very easy. It stands for this, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Always start with God's word. Always start with what God has already spoken and what God wants to speak with you. And then observe it. What is God trying to speak to me here? What am I noticing in the scripture? Maybe it's the same word or the same phrase or something that just stood out, something you're going to underline. And then think, how can I apply this to myself? What from what I've read today applies to me today? How can I apply it to my life and become a little bit more like Jesus? And then finally, pray. Pray about what you've read. Pray about what you think God's asking you to do. Pray about the, the, the conviction in your heart because God's revealed something about yourself as you read. Follow the SOAP method. Spend five or ten minutes a day in prayer. Sincerely desire the habit. And when you do, something happens. Discipline begins to develop. And we don't like talking about discipline, do we? Discipline always has this, this kind of negative sense, this bad sense. But I read this quote this week that I absolutely love. And one of my New Year's resolutions is to teach it to my kids this year. Because I think it's so, so important. Discipline develops. This is the quote. Discipline costs you something. It absolutely does. But so does regret. Discipline weighs an ounce. Regret weighs tons. Where do you want to be? Do you want to get to a place in your life where you look back and all you feel is the weight of regret? Or would you be willing to take a few minutes every morning to be disciplined 
might cost you a little, but in the end, my guess is you'll look back and you'll say, that was time well spent. Sincerely desire the habit. Discipline begins to develop, and as discipline begins to develop, habits begin to form. And as habits begin to form, change begins to happen. And, and as we spend time with Jesus, something shifts in our heart and our minds. And, and I, could, I could go on for hours and hours about all the things that could change. There is just this exhaustive list of all the things that will change as you begin to spend time with Jesus. But this morning, I just want to point out two. Here are two of the things that will change if you begin to sincerely desire the habit and develop the discipline. And when this new habit forms, the change that comes is you'll immediately feel peace and strength. And let me ask you this. After the year we had, wouldn't you all want to look back and experience a little bit more peace? After the year we had and knowing what days are before us, wouldn't you want some strength for the journey ahead? You see, I think we would all say yes. Nobody says, I don't want peace. I want more turmoil and chaos and throw my life you know, off kilter. That's what I want. No, we all desire some peace. We all desire a little more strength. And as we spend time with Jesus and we form this habit, one of the first things that comes, Jesus said, he, he made us a promise, my peace I leave you, I give you, and I'll give you strength for the journey. But, but you, you got you, you to gotta focus, you got to set your priorities, you got to come spend time with me. To illustrate this point further, we're going to look at another fishing story. This is from a, a different period of time. What's interesting is when you read the story, it's kind of the same cast of characters. They're going out and doing the same kind of thing. The result is even very much the same. But there's something different between these two stories we're going to focus on. This uh, story, rather, takes place at, at an earlier time. This takes place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> it's another fishing story with the same group of guys. This is found in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, it says this. And when he, this is Jesus, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, again, this is Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and we have taken nothing. God, I, I, I've been out here fishing all night. Again, I caught nothing. And if there's one thing that's beginning to be very clear about this story is that Peter is a horrible fisherman. I mean, every time you read about Peter in the Gospels, he's out there fishing all night, catching nothing until Jesus shows up. I mean, I don't know about you, but bad career choice, right? He's out there fishing all night. Guy, we caught nothing. But at your words, I will let down the nets. All right, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you through. I'll just make you happy. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. The story's not over. This gets me more crazy. <clears throat> Simon Peter saw it. He fell down, and I love this. You've heard me preach about this before. He fell to his knees. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the presence of Jesus, you begin to see who you really are. You begin to see your weaknesses and your frailties, just as Simon did. The story goes on. For he and all who were with him, this, again, this is the same cast of characters, were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So all were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Very similar story, very same cast of characters, very similar outcomes. Then Jesus said to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So what you're all thinking good, because he was really bad at fishing for fish. There are four things that are similar in, in, in these verses. And we're going to point them out real quick. First is there's fish. There's fishermen. There's nets, and there's Jesus. 
And these four things, they kind of represent something to us. They represent this illustration that I think Jesus is trying to make. And, and the first one is this. Fish represent people. These are the people that need to hear the story of Jesus, that need to hear the good news of the gospel, the people that we created this, this church for. This is the people. The next fishermen, fisherwomen, fisher people, these are the workers. These are the people who, who were outside this morning shoveling and throwing salt on the parking lot, who serve coffee and who usher. And if, if you're not here because of the current circumstances, these are the people that serve our children and our youth, that, that make uh, worship sound amazing, that play the instruments. These are the workers. So when you're doing this kind of thing, here's what you need to keep in mind. I'm not just handing a cup of coffee or shoveling a walkway. I am fishing for people. I am doing the work that's set before me. And we're going to get into this in a few weeks, the work that's set before all of us. But even if you're not on a volunteer team, if you have a job, if you work, if, you, if you're alive, this is your work. You have a ministry wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You're fishing for people. The next are the nets. The nets represent the work. And we're going to get into that in a few weeks. And finally, Jesus, he always represents Jesus. Similar stories. Very different outcomes with one major difference. And, and here's the difference. We're going to con contrast and compare these two verses. In Luke 5, they had done what Jesus told them to do, right? They had fished. They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. But years later, very similar, they go out, they do what Jesus told them to do. It was a full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. What's the difference between this and this? Time with Jesus. These men had spent three years with Jesus in the story in John. They had seen Jesus do the things that Jesus had done. They had experienced Jesus, and they had heard his words, and they had seen the miraculous. They had spent time with Jesus, and by spending time with Jesus, things in their hearts, in their minds, in their lives, it all began to change. They, be, they became filled with this strength, with this boldness, so much so that, that they couldn't even contain it. This is Peter and John. These guys were just uh, absolutely uh, amazing people. But this story is so true for each of us. It is so easy for work, for life to get busy and for that busyness to kind of choke out and, and, and reprioritize our time with God. It's easy even if you're in the church world. We've experienced this as, as people who, my job is church. I can get so busy doing church. I can get so busy casting that net out to catch the people, if you will that I begin to lose sight of my priority, of my time with God. And when your time with Jesus begins to get snuffed out, you begin to lose focus. The, the nets of our relationship begin to break. The nets of our relationship with Jesus, they begin to break. I've seen this in churches for years. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. And I've heard story after story of churches beginning to fracture and beginning to splinter. And every time if I hear this story, do you know what it ties back to? Somewhere along the line, we forfeited our time with Jesus. Other priorities took over. Well, I have to work. I have to get this task done. I'm, I'm so busy. I, I've, I've got a family. And I think Jesus is sitting maybe in that chair in our room just saying, I know. But I got that. Come and spend time with me. Peter and John spent time with Jesus, and their lives were radically changed. These are just simple, ordinary men who did some amazing things. As a matter of fact, if you go into the next book of the Bible, the, the book of Acts, 
we see that Jesus, that these men rather, were asked to stop speaking about Jesus. You're, you're talking too much. Just shut up. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they kind of reply with, guys, I, I can't, like, kind of they say, over our dead bodies. You'd have to kill me. I can't be quiet. I can't shut up. In the book of Acts, it actually says it this way. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, these are the religious leaders. They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary, simple men. Yet they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The best way to start your day, the best way to start your year, the best way to go into 2021, especially after the year we just had, is to hear what Jesus has to say first. Guys, Peace and strength is not going to come from this. It's going to come from this. So here's what, what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask all, all of our church to do this. For 21 days, I want us, I'm going to challenge you to start your day with Jesus first. For 21 days, I, I, I want to challenge you, maybe to, to, to literally, for some of you, or figuratively, lock up this. Don't let it distract you. Don't let it be the first thing you check in the morning. Put it away. If you're like, be like me, be real radical and just delete your social media apps or go further and delete your social media accounts. There's not much good on there anyway. And start your day with Jesus. Here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to start your day with Jesus for 21 days. And what, when this happens, I want you to be thinking about 21 days from now and the difference it'll make. The, the, the difference you'll feel, the peace and the strength you'll begin to feel when you begin to hear what Jesus has to say first. And, and if you're new to this, I, I totally understand that. If you're new and you say, Jim, I don't even have a Bible, head back to Journey Central. We would be happy to give you a Bible. And you know how much it's going to cost you? Nothing. As a matter of fact, you can take two and we'll give them away for free. That's the kind of generous church you're in. If you're online and you don't have a Bible, give us your address and we will send you a Bible this week. We want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to start this year with God's word. If, if you're really new to this, you're looking for a good place to start, ask one of our volunteers about Starting Point. That's a great place to start this journey. But here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you to, to join this 21-day journey. And every morning at 6 a.m., and I get it. I'm not telling you you have to wake up at 6 a.m. and start your day. There are morning people and there are not morning people. I am not a morning person. You can ask our team. I get a ton done at night. But there is something important. I think you can agree. There's something important about starting your day off right. So at 6 a.m., you're going to get a text. And in the text, it's going to have a scripture and it's going to have a reading. And I'm going to ask you for 21 days to start your day off right. Here's what you have to do. It's very simple. Take out your cell phones, take out your tablets, write this down. Text JC21 to 97000. JC21, 97000. You'll join the 21-day journey. Every day you're going to get, it's already made for you. You're going to get a scripture, you're going to get a reading. And for 21 days, I want you to begin your day off. Starting your day off with Jesus. Whatever time your day begins. Maybe you work late and your day starts at 10. Start your day off, whatever time. Spending time with Jesus. And if you miss a day... Jesus is going to be furious with you. No, he's not. If you miss a day, that's all right. Take a break. And the next day, start it and keep going. This isn't about perfection. This is about consistency. Let me say that again. Because way too many people start reading plans at the beginning of the year, and then January 7th rolls around, and I miss a day. I'll forget it. I'll start next year. It's not about perfection. It's about consistency. Consistently saying every morning, Jesus, I want you to be the priority. Not, not my cell phone, not social media, not the news, not the world. I want you to be, you have my attention. This is so important, Journey Church. This isn't me saying this to you. This is Jesus extending this invitation to you. Journey Church, 
Will you come and will you have breakfast with me? I mean, think about that invitation. Aaron, sitting in the second row, Jesus is extending the invitation to you. Aaron, will you come have breakfast with me? Those of you sitting at home, I may not even know your names. David, Jesus is asking you, will you come have breakfast with me? Would you come? Would you start 21 off right? Would you come have breakfast with me? I think that's a wild invitation. I think that's the biggest rock we need to fit into our life. We need to reprioritize our time around this. And I think if we will, in 21 days, in weeks, in months, maybe the end of the year, you'll look back and you'll say this. That is time well spent. And that's my prayer for you. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for this incredible story, for including John 21 into the gospel. It is just this incredible window of what's to come for all of us, Lord. This incredible invitation that you've invited us into, God, to know you and to spend time with you, to, to communicate with you, to know your heart for us and for the world and where you want us to go and where you're taking us. God, it is so easy to allow the priorities and the demands on our time to allow life or work, family, whatever it might be to prioritize you out. But I pray for every person hearing this, God, that that stirring in their heart that they would have the courage to take this step. God, to reprioritize their time, maybe even to spend a little time this afternoon rethinking their life and their priorities so they can start their day with Jesus. God, and I pray that as we do that, we would, we would feel that peace that you would give us. We would feel the, feel the strength for the journey that's ahead of us. God, that you'd begin to change us from the inside out, making us a little bit more like your son, Jesus our Savior. In his name I pray. Amen.